I was at a men's Bible study, and we had concluded our time of studying the Scriptures, and it was time to pray for one another. And one of the men at the Bible study told us that his daughter was having a job interview that very afternoon in New York City. And it was an important job interview. It would be very meaningful for the advancement of her career. And he was right next to me, and he turned to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Pastor Nathan, will you pray that my daughter gets the job? So it was time for prayer, and I closed my eyes, and I prayed something like, Lord, we pray for this daughter of yours. We pray for this job interview. We do pray that she would get the job, but if she doesn't, God, we pray that you would use this season to increase her dependence on you. In Jesus' name, amen. And while I was saying the word amen, the father next to me said, but Lord, we pray she gets the job, amen. (laughs) This is why people stop asking me to pray for them. (laughs) The man gave me permission to tell that story to you. It happened a couple of years ago. And I tell that story because it illustrates how sometimes when we pray to God, we are more interested in the outcome of the prayer than we are in the one we are praying to. Sometimes we are more focused on the gifts than on the giver. It's a little bit like this. Imagine if 15 years ago when I asked Nancy to marry me, when I got down on one knee and I opened up a box with a beautiful diamond ring in it that was very costly to me, And if I had said, will you marry me? Will you be in relationship with me for the rest of our lives? Now, thank God she didn't say this. But what if she had said, you know, I don't really want the relationship with you. But I will take that ring. (laughs) It's laughable, but sometimes when we pray, when we're in relationship with God, we're more interested in what he can do for us. Material provision. This short but powerful prayer from Habakkuk helps us answer the question, is God praiseworthy when the money dries up? Is God worthy of our praise even when material provision is not coming our way? It's from the book of Habakkuk. How many sermons have you heard from Habakkuk? This may be your first one. But let's look at it together to help answer this question. It's Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. If you've closed your Bible, I encourage you to open it up again. We'll be looking at these verses. Habakkuk was a prophet for the nation of Israel. And he too experienced a moment, along with his fellow countrymen, when the money dried up. Let's look at his situation then. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. You see what Habakkuk is showing us here. He has us look out at the landscape of his situation. He says, you see this field? There's no harvest this year. You see these trees? There's no fruit on the branches. You see these vines? There are no grapes. And he opens up the stalls to show you where the animals are supposed to be. And there's nothing there. Habakkuk was a prophet for the people of Israel, the people who had been promised by God 
a land flowing with milk and honey. These are material provisions. And yet they were in a crisis moment because they were in exile. Their nation had been taken over by the enemy. And now, to make matters worse, they were in the middle of a drought, an economic depression. And this is the situation that Habakkuk writes this prayer. Empty fields, dried up trees and vines, and empty stalls. Now, this might be kind of hard to relate to. So let me try to put it in modern context. What if Habakkuk wrote this today? What if he was talking about his own individual situation? Habakkuk might have said something like this. I lost my job. And the worst part of it was they rigged the contract in such a way that I didn't get my bonus. And that was two years ago. And in order to pay the bills, we've been spending out of our savings. Well, that dried up too. And now I've been borrowing against my 401k and I'm at the end of that and I'm not sure I can pay the mortgage this month. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Some of you I know are either in that situation now or have been through that. This is where Habakkuk brings us. And before we go to the next verse, before we go to the resolve of this profound prayer. I just want us to notice something. If you have your Bible open, look at this brief prayer and look at the size of verse 17. See how verse 17, he's just naming all the situation. He's naming how everything's wrong, how the stalls are empty, the fields aren't producing fruit. I appreciate this about this prayer because this gives me permission to lament. It gives me permission to just tell God the things that are wrong in my life and in our nation. You see, I have a really low tolerance for complaining. I have a low tolerance for whining. I can't stand it when there's whining in my household. And when I was growing up, my parents were the same way. If we were around the dinner table, if somebody whined or complained, my dad would say, you have five seconds to feel sorry for yourself. And he would count to five, and then he'd say, pass the salt, we'd move on. I kind of appreciate that. Sometimes I think we're not really lamenting, we're just complaining about things. We were on vacation last summer as a family and it was really hot and we had the air conditioner broke, the power went out on the last night we were there and we were lying in the heat and sweating and I was like, oh, this terrible thing is happening to us. And then I thought, wait a minute, do you know how many people would love to be on vacation at all? And we had six nights of air conditioning. So I'm not talking about complaining or whining, sometimes we do that. But God does give us permission to lament when the stalls are empty, when the job is lost, when we've lost all material provision. It's okay. Look at the size of verse 17. It's okay to lament and to tell God when things aren't adding up in your life. But notice that God doesn't have us stay there. God doesn't have us wallow in our lament. You see this? Habakkuk has just named the empty stalls. And then in verse 18, he says, Yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. That word yet could be easily translated as even so. The money has dried up. Even so, 
I will rejoice in the Lord. That word rejoice, it's the same word as the next line, joy. It's a Hebrew word that simply means joy. I will find joy, not in the return of my material provision, but in the Lord. You see where Habakkuk places his joy? I will rejoice in the Lord. He could have easily written this prayer saying, the fields are barren, the trees are not producing fruit, the stalls are empty, so I will be happy again when those things are producing fruit again. He could have said that. But instead, he looks out at the landscape, all the emptiness, all the material provision dried up, and he says, even so, yet I will rejoice. I will find joy, not in those things, but in the Lord. It's a powerful hinge in this prayer. I will rejoice in the Lord. In the next line, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, not just in the return of my material provisions. You see, what Habakkuk is showing us here is the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is when our stalls are filled again, when the 401k lines up, when something good happens to us. That can produce happiness. I'm reading this newest book by David Brooks. It's called The Second Mountain. And in the first chapter, he describes the difference between happiness and joy. He says, happiness is usually situational. It's when something nice happens to us. We enjoy a really good meal, or our team wins the Super Bowl, or we get a promotion at work. This can provide momentary happiness. But he says, joy is different than that. Joy transcends the situation. Joy is something that seizes us. It takes over us. Sometimes it doesn't even depend on the situation that we're in. Joy comes over us like when a mother and a child lock eyes when the child is newly born. That's joy. Or he says, when a group of friends are dancing and they forget themselves and they're just caught up in the dance. Joy often involves self-forgetting, Brooks says in the book. And this is what Habakkuk is pointing us to. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. My salvation. Oh, yeah. God has saved me. If Habakkuk knew this in the Old Testament, how much more do we know it in light of what happens in the New Testament? The God of our salvation, what has God done for us in Jesus Christ? He has sent him to die in our place, to go to the cross, to take the consequences of all of our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay what we deserve to pay because of our sins. And what this allows for us is to be in relationship again with God for all of eternity. Sin separates us, but Jesus took upon himself that separation so that we wouldn't have to be separated anymore. You see, what God is doing for us on the cross is he's restoring the relationship. He's saying, I want to be in relationship with you, and all you want is the diamond ring. But I want relationship. So he went to great lengths to restore that relationship with us. I will take joy, this deep abiding sense that's better than happiness. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. When we realize this, that what Jesus has done for us 
is enough. It changes our ability to deal with any circumstance. Let me pose this in the form of a question. If all he ever did for us was die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty of sin, if that's all he ever gave us, would he be praiseworthy? If all he ever did was offer salvation, eternal life, if there was no other material blessing that we ever were given, if we lived our lives in material poverty but we had the cross, would he be praiseworthy? The babies are saying yes. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. They know. Do I want you to have material provision restored? Yes. Do I want that man's daughter to get the job with the interview in New York City? Yes. But I also want something deeper for all of us. And that is the joy that comes from knowing that what he's given us in Jesus Christ is enough. And that helps us navigate the hard seasons of life. Do you know people who, when they go through a hard time, when the material provision dries up, when the diagnosis is dire, do you know people who seem to still have a sense of joy and peace? Aren't they weird? It's absurd. It's something different. We're so used to measuring our happiness based on the material provision in our life that when things are bad, we freak out. When things are good, we're good. But when we see people, well, it, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, one time when I was in Alaska and I was driving along the road with my sister and brother-in-law who lived there. And my brother pulled over. We were driving along this road, this coastal road, where there's a big sheer rock cliff to the left of our car and the ocean to the right. And he pulled the car over and he had me look up at the cliff. And he showed me these sheep. The Alaskans call them doll sheep, mountain goats sort of. And there they were, up positioned up on the cliff. I'd never seen anything like this. It was so absurd. I was like, how did they get up there. It's kind of like when you see a person who has joy, who has peace in the midst of hardship. You say, how is that possible? How did they do that? Well, actually, the reason I'm telling you about the mountain goats is because that's exactly the illustration that Habakkuk gives us in verse 19 when he's telling us to have joy in the God of our salvation, even when the material provision has dried up. Verse 19, he says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. You see the picture Habakkuk is showing us there? In ancient Israel, when you heard the phrase high places like that, tread on high places, you knew that this was danger. Nowadays, when we tell our testimonies, tell our stories, we say, oh, I had a mountaintop experience, it was great. Or when we had a hard time, we say we were going through the valley. But in Habakkuk's time, if you said I was treading on a high place, you would know this was a really difficult season. But Habakkuk shows us when we have this joy, when the joy of the Lord is our strength, he gives us feet like one of these deers or goats that we can tread on our high places. I want you to see this picture.
I want you to see this and think about it. This is what Habakkuk wants us to see. When you're in a high place, when you're in a difficult situation, when you don't get the job, when the money dries up, when the diagnosis is bad, if you know, if we know that deep down joy that can only come from a restored relationship with God through what Jesus did for us on the cross, then this is actually a picture of us. This is you. Someone will look at you in your life and they'll say, how did that happen? That's weird. How is she treading on this high place? How is he at peace? How does he have joy in that circumstance? How is that mountain goat where she is? Because of joy. Because of knowing what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I have a feeling if we went around the room this morning and I asked everyone to share, what's your high place? What's the place you're trying to tread? I bet there'd be a lot of stories here. For some of us, it might be that material provision drying up. I know a couple of families in that exact situation I described earlier. Maybe some of you have all kinds of material provision, but your relationships have dried up, and that's your high place. No matter what the circumstance, the Holy Spirit knows what we're all going through. What He wants for us is He wants this deep down abiding joy that can never be taken away from us. He wants us to be in relationship with him and to have our joy come from that relationship with him, not from our circumstances, not from the bouncing ball of material provision which comes and goes. God says, trust me in this. I'll make your feet like the deer's. Fix your eyes on me, he says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Lord, may it be so for everyone here. Holy Spirit, come and provide this joy. Despite our circumstances, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.